Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's Sunday special. Today, we're going to be doing something I haven't done since either 2020 or 2021, and that is watch the Netflix series F1 Drive to Survive. Yeah, back in, I think it might have been 2020. Back in either 2020 or 2021, I had a react, basically a sort of reaction series where I would watch any one of the F1 Drive to Survive Season 2 episodes and then give running commentary as I was watching. And considering Formula 1 season is about to be back, I think in March, right? Formula 1 2022, the 2022 season is about to start, I think, in March. I figured, well, before we get into Season 3 of F1 Drive to Survive, I'd better watch the first season, like I said I was going to, all those years ago. So, let's get into it. First episode is all to play for. Driver Daniel Ricciardo looks to make a statement on the track. And while the teams prepare for the first race of the season at the Australian Grand Prix. <laughs> Grand Prix. Sorry, I got that wrong. Let's begin. Headset on. Netflix video player. Buffering. Here we go. Intro. Netflix logo. Same thing you get when you start up the application itself. Okay. Daniel Ricciardo's talking about his childhood and hearing the echo of Formula One through his city. Probably back in the V10 era, or not long uh, not long before. See, this is the very first episode. Of, okay, let me pause. Part of the reason why I really wanted to go back and watch season one before season three was I really wanted to see where the series started. Because I kind of remember season two and how it was put together. I wanted to see what season one was like and then maybe pick up on any changes, any improvements that were made from season one to season two. And then how all of that is going to contrast or perhaps perhaps uh, bolster with season three. I say bolster, but... Uh, Perhaps how all of that will, for lack of a better word, synergize with Season 3. I want to see if Season 2 was like a revolutionary change rather than an evolutionary change. Because I imagine Season 3 is going to be definitely more evolutionary. Okay, we have Christian Horner on the mic. Dropping them fat beats. <laughs> okay, we got Sergio Perez talking about, thinking about his family. Grace for... Grace Ricardo, probably his mother, talking about praying for a safe race, probably for her son. Yep, corners back, saying that Formula One is the ultimate competition. Okay, he just talked about uncontrollable drama. I'm sorry, Horner, Horner. Have you ever watched the NASCAR race where people get mad and all the, <laughs> what, all the bump drafting, all the pushing, all the spinning? Like, dude, 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 uncontrolled drama, my foot. If you want uncontrolled drama, watch hockey or NASCAR. That said, Formula One does have a lot of drama. It's just of the more diplomatic variety. At least as of, like, what, the last four years. Yeah, Formula One is definitely a traveling circus. A lot of these Formula One teams apparently have thousands of employees. Really, they really are a small army because, look, half the people we see in the paddock, like in the pit garage, that's probably a tenth of the actual team. There's, what, hundreds, and I do mean hundreds of other people, Back in the factories, working on the cars, working on the next cars, monitoring the current cars, etc. So, what we see on TV is a, a percentage of the full team. Okay, 20 drivers. I think Gunther Steiner's talking about Formula 1 drivers being the best in the world, and they're certainly up there. That's for sure. Ricardo says that if Max Verstappen beats him in every race, then Ricardo's career is done, and he might have a point. Even though Ricardo is still in Formula One at the point at, at at this current point, just not with Red Bull. 
Ricardo says, a reporter asked if he had Lewis, if Ricardo had Lewis Hamilton's car, would he beat him? Ricardo's like, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> he might be right about that, though, because if you remember back in, what was it, like 2019? I think the 2019 Formula One season, Ricardo had some iconic dive bombs on quite a few people. Not, and those were dive bombs I hadn't seen Hamilton pull off. So if Ricardo could keep the pace of Hamilton plus his dive bomb technique, he may very, very he he very well could potentially beat Hamilton in his own car, at least at that point in time. So right now we really just got a montage setting this whole thing up, setting up Drive to Survive. To be fair, they always kind of have these sizzle reels at the beginning of each episode, but this this one's a bit longer. I mean, we're two minutes in, probably not two minutes into the podcast. I've been pausing in between, but we're two minutes into uh, Formula One Drive to Survive episode one. And we still have the sizzle reel. We still have this montage setting the whole series up, which is very important when you have a new series to set the tone, set set the tone, set people's expectations, so they know what to, so they know what to think, get a feel for what the series is going to be like. What it, what's funny is that while the intro was a lot longer than season two, it's a lot longer than season two's intros on average. It would seem at least past episode one, but the rest of it is very similar to season two, from what I recall. Let me just go back a bit. Okay, Ricardo's asking if he can say, because now he's, a t- he's in the talking head where he's interviewing people, or where he's being interviewed by people. <laughs> Someone just asked if Ricardo was happy with his hair, and he replies, I don't know, I haven't seen it. <laughs> and then he said, if, probably if you've asked me, then it must look like crap. <laughs> okay, then Ricardo asked, am I looking at you or down the line? So he's looking at the interviewer. Okay, the interviewer, Sophie apparently asked Ricardo, <laughs> Ask Ricardo about who he is and what his job is. Ricardo just replied, I'm Daniel Ricardo and I'm a car mechanic. Couldn't be further from the truth, my guy. Very funny, though. Ricardo's got to be one of the funniest people on the grid, for sure. Definitely the smiliest. We all know this. Even Top Gear pointed that out back when Ricardo went there years ago. Apparently, he was born in Perth, Australia. Okay. So he finally got his proper intro. Here we go. Little montage of Monaco on the Red Bull with Ricardo Drive. Okay, apparently Ricardo loves the feeling of the car on the edge at high speed. I think as most racing drivers do. Like that's why that's why a lot of us driver types love racing. It's just right on the edge, all that speed. Apparently he loves danger too. I wonder if he listens to What's Up Danger from the Spider-Verse films. He needs to. That's a, that's a perfect song for him if he likes danger. That adrenaline, that excitement. Yeah. Okay, he's a winner. He likes the feeling of winning more than anything. <laughs> Definitely a BMW driver type, right? The winner type stuff. Remember, oh, what, what was it? British Top Gear versus German Top Gear. And then Clarkson and VoiceOver was like, you know what a bad loser is? Well, Hammond is what's called a bad winner. I bet you Ricardo could potentially be a bad winner type. Ricardo, okay, the montage showing another one of his iconic dive bombs. Woo! Let's go. Montage of his skills. So this was 2018. Yeah, 2018. If I remember correctly, that was a hard year for Ricardo. So it was 2019. Pretty much his whole, his entire Red Bull stint. Not entire, but his latter, his later Red Bull stint was pretty tricky. Daniel loves NASCAR! If I remember correctly, there's a video of him actually in a, in a Richard Petty, Richard Petty 70s Monte Carlo NASCAR, maybe 80s Monte Carlo NASCAR around Circuit of the Americas. I think he drove that last year. He liked it. It was pretty cool. It's so cool to have a Formula One driver that actually likes NASCAR. And look, I don't really care for NASCAR, but it's nice to see that 
even a Formula One driver is like, oh, we got a lot more curves than NASCAR. It's not so it's not so snooty. It's not so snobby that he that he turns his nose up at NASCAR. He got into Formula One to see if he could be the best in the world. Apparently, being the world champion would be the world to him. Ricardo as a kid, early karting days, some karting, some old karting clips. Uh, it's not stable. <laughs> Apparently, Ricardo's dad was building his own business whilst taking him karting on the weekends. What's it? What's really what I remember actually a little tip I remembered is that Daniel Ricardo's name is actually Daniel Ricciardo. It's meant to sound Italian. I think as his father thought it, was, his name should be slightly more slightly more Italian. But the Australians kept messing it up, so they just pronounced it Ricardo rather than Ricciardo. Yep, Grace Ricardo is Daniel Ricardo's mother. Oh, they're eating meat. It looks good. I'm not sure it's. I'm not. I don't think it's fried. It's looks like it's roasted. Apparently, he left home when he was young. Ah, uh, it looks like they're on a farm. Yep, typical Australia. <laughs> Ricardo believes he could be world champion. Otherwise, why would he be doing it? And you know what? Sure words, rarely been spoken. Why would you do something like that unless you thought you could actually succeed? Melbourne, Australia, 2018. Here we go. I think the first race of 2018, the first race they're showing anyway of 2018 for sure. No Australian has made it to the top three in their home race. That sucks. Although I do have to ask how many Australians have been in Formula One in order to earn such a title. That That's the first question you have to ask. Then the other one makes more sense. As could make more sense as a result. Unsurprisingly, Daniel loves having a home race. I can't imagine there's any Formula One driver that doesn't love having a home race. It's their home crowd. It's their home country. It's that home field advantage. Typical Aussie chants. <laughs> so many press journals. Oh my god. So many press peeps. Hey, Will Buxton. One of my favorite commentators for sure. Slash journalists. Then there's, there's Hamilton off to the left. Now we got Will Buxton on the mic. Apparently Will was saying that in 2018, a lot of people thought that it was make or break for Daniel Ricciardo for that year in Formula One. And then we have Chris Medlin, another Formula One journalist. I don't remember seeing them in season two. Now I think about it. Man, so much press. Oh, Lord. So much media appearances. Half of it's racing, half of it's media appearances. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Half of it's media, half of it's racing. That includes qualifying, actually, yeah. So the other half is media appearances. Sebastian Vettel. 2018. Man, 2018 was such a bad year for Ferrari. At least from what I recall, it was a bad year. I mean, 2018, 2019. 2019 might have been a little better. 2020 was also kind of meh. But 2018, 2019 were terrible years for Ferrari. Apparently, the smaller teams function on a budget that's a fraction of the budget bigger teams have. Which explains why they have to kind of outsource some of their parts for the bigger teams. Like, use hand-me-downs. Because that's the best they can do. So they got to make the, the best of what they got. And that's why it's hard for a lot of smaller teams to really make it into, like, the top five, for sure. Oh, no. We're here with Haas. Gunther Steiner. Oh, my. Oh, God. Season two, this man was a menace, if you remember. Do you guys remember that? Season two, this man was a madness. Oh, apparently he was a mechanic. Let me go back 10 seconds. Gunther Steiner is the team principal of the Haas Formula 1 team. He loves racing. It's his passion. That's sick. Oh, he started from the bottom as a mechanic. Okay. Okay. Oh, apparently, apparently setting up a Formula 1 team in the U.S. was his idea, and he persuaded Gene Haas to do this. 
I'm not sure how true that is, but... Okay, G2's got a very successful NASCAR team. That's one... That, hey, that's one thing. What's, what's terrifying about Haas is looking back at Season 2. Season 2 was tense for, for the Haas people. It was fractious, shall we say. So seeing where it all started with the infamous Haas team is like, oh god, when's the crap gonna start, right? That's the only thing I can think. So we got Gene Haas on the mic, doing a little bit of voiceover. Gene Haas believes that being successful in racing slash Formula 1 just, among other things, simply comes down to being stubborn, and I'd agree with him. Apparently Haas was the first American Formula 1 team in 30 years! 30! They don't have American drivers, but still, like, my god! Jesus. Got the Steiner. Got the Steiner. Accurately recognizes that they got to do more with less because they are a smaller team. Apparently Haas only has 212 people on their entire team. Their entire team. Mercedes might have that many people in, in, in a support truck. Brundle, Martin Brundle was saying that Mercedes has about 212 people on holiday at any one time. And Haas has that many people as an as an entire entity. Woof. That is that is frightening. As as is as is seen from Brundle's face when he hears the number. He's like, uh, are you serious? Woo! But the Steiner also recognizes that they are the underdogs there. They're new, and he's completely right. They've been the underdogs forever. <laughs> they have been the underdogs for ages. They might still be. I don't know how they do, I don't know how they did last year. We'll have to wait and see how they do this year, but well, at least with the budget caps, they might Haas might actually stand a better chance. Here we go. Some racing montage. Let's go! Medland is back on the mic. He says one of the special things about Formula One is how the weekend builds. Friday's practice. Saturday's what? Qualifying? Should be. Let's see. He was saying that Friday is when they get the cars out and make sure the cars are performing the best they can, you know, setup changes, all the rest. It's really just a test day. That's what it is. Yep, Saturday's qualifying. There you go. Which sets the order. The cars will start the racing. Makes sense. We all know this. And then Sunday, as we all know, is the race itself. Every session's dangerous. Yep, because qualifying qualifying pace is balls to the wall. Straight up. So it could... Not that it always is, but it can be more dangerous than the actual race itself. Because you're trying that little bit harder. Because when you're qualifying, it's all out. It's to get that first position so you have that... That front field advantage. So it seems to be because a lot of a lot of the Formula One cars they have a qualifying setting and then a race setting. And I think the race setting is maybe a a tenth or so off. Not in terms of lap time, but in terms of aggression. In terms of pace, is maybe a tenth or like nine tenths out of ten tenths. Qualifying qualifying pace pace is ten tenths. Nothing in reserve. Race pace generally is maybe eight or nine tenths. It's not as ball to the walls. It's balls to the wall it's still stupid fast it's pushing but it's not leave leave nothing on the table it's not go as fast as possible and then some because if when you're going that fast when it's as fast as possible and then some you're much more likely to make a mistake which is what we see all the time in qualifying suspension parts wheels stuff like that just getting getting abused because they hit the walls hit the tires tire wall etc that's why every now and then when a team's really behind, like when Mercedes is desperate for a win, you'll hear them say, hey, Lewis, qualifying pace or something something like that. Something that indicates they need to go to qualifying pace if they want to really win. And I think, was it Hamilton or was it Ricardo? 
No, I think it was, I think it was Michael Schumacher, uh, Michael Schumacher back in the early 2000s where he was asked by Ferrari, "Hey, can you do, can you do uh, qualifying pace for like seven? No, no, no. Yeah, for multiple laps, he consistently managed qualifying pace for seven laps in a row, consistently hitting the latest breaking breaking points, perfect turning for seven laps consistently is otherworldly." Otherworldly. Right, we're 11 minutes into episode one, though, of season one. It doesn't seem all that different, honestly. Netflix, it seems anyway, they have they appeared to have done their homework back then to get things right. They had an idea. They got the right people to put this thing together so there wouldn't be too many mistakes, so there wouldn't be too much teething problems, especially later, which is pretty cool. So apparently the Red Bull Formula One team's a subsidiary of an energy drink. So what, Red Bull, or Red Bull Motorsports is maybe the subsidiary of the energy drink company itself. I wonder how many Red Bull employees actually drink Red Bull. I also want to know how many people IRL drink Red Bull. It's such a popular, it's such a big company, such a popular company, but I got to be real with you guys. I don't know of many people that genuinely drink Red Bull. I always hear jokes, I've, I've seen more jokes mocking Red Bull than people actually saying, hey, Red Bull's pretty good. There's, there's a few people. Maybe two or three that I've seen in my entire lifetime, or at the very least two or three people as of the last five years. But I really can't think of anyone that genuinely likes Red Bull. And I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone in my audience that listens to it. Not too much, anyway. But if you do, hey, let me let me know in the comments. Do you like Red Bull? What's it like? I don't drink sodas. Not like that. So I wouldn't know. All right, qualifying. Daniel is in the Red Bull. He is in the Formula One car. Going out to qualify at Melbourne. Big speed. Big pace. Many sparks. Ricardo says that as a racing driver, your feeling is so in tune. Apparently, after a few laps, you'll know if the car is fast. And honestly, he's kind of right. If you, even, honestly, even in sim racing, if you race for long enough, consistently enough, and if you analyze the car you're driving, have that analytical mindset as you're driving for long enough, you'll know when something's off. You'll know... In a lap, in a, in a lap or a few laps, when something's wrong. Uh, Andy Lally, if I remember correctly, on a Jalopnik video when he when the Gen Five ACR came out, he was saying that the, you can lose the canards on the race cars. They have the canards that the ACR has, and he says he knows within a lap when they've lost one of the canards. That's how, as Ricardo says, that's how in tune racing drivers are with the car. They know almost instantly when something is wrong. Richard Hammond actually, when they did the twenty four hour. When they did the 24-hour race with the diesel BMW with their homegrown uh, farm-ready fuel, even though he's he didn't know Silverstone and isn't as much of a racing driver as the Stig or or might not, it doesn't have the experience to maybe know what the difference would be in certain corners as Clarkson does because Clarkson's driven around Silverstone a few times. Even he could tell when the splitter broke. Even he could tell something was wrong when the splitter was broken and when they had to take it off. So. You know immediately, because they because all those aero elements make such a big difference. Suspension changes make such a big difference. So for anyone that says, oh, well, why are they getting paid so much that you're sitting down? It's like, God, no, no, no. You are painfully ignorant. It takes a lot to be this fast. Because it's not just, oh, knowing when to break, knowing what the turning point is. And it is that stuff. But it's also proper throttle management, when to change gear, how is the car handling? What's the setup like? Is the suspension acting right? Wheel weight's off. What's the problem? Have I flat spotted a tire? 
Are, are all the little elements elements on the splitter right? Did one come off? Is the wing good? Is there damage? Like, there's so much analyzing a racing driver has to do in the subconscious to make sure that the car, in the subconscious and the conscious, to make sure the car is performing properly. You know immediately. I Okay, a good example of this. I got back into Assetto Corsa recently after having not done it for about four months. And I forgot that I had changed the setting on my wheel. It basically weakened the return to center setting where if I turn it left, it'll automatically unwind to go to the center. I had forgotten that I, the last time I used the wheel was for Euro Truck Simulator and I had turned the setting off so I could turn the wheel more easily because I needed all the lock. Well, that meant that when I got my Viper for the Nürburgring because I was going to, I was just doing a fun run. I couldn't tell how much grip there was at the front. I had no feel. I had no feel whatsoever. I'm like, the car feels, the front end feels light. Like it has no grip. The Gen 5 has 295 millimeter or section front tires. It felt like it had 245. No, no, no. 225s. It felt like it had no grip. It was understeering. It felt like anyway, it was understeering everywhere. I was like, I can't tell what the grip level is at all. But that was because that steering, the steering setting was so different because the steering itself had no force, had no pushback. It had no resistance. It felt really light. And so then when I got to the car, I'm like, the car feels light as a result. And I could not tell what the grip levels were to save my life. And my lap times reflected that. I did an 845, maybe an 838 on the Nürburgring in a Gen 5. And I was trying to go as fast as possible, but I just couldn't feel the car. But I knew, I knew, and the Nürburgring is a long track, but I knew within about five, four or five corners that something was wrong. I'm like, no. Assetto feels a lot better than this. I know it does. It's been a while, but I'm like, no, my, this, this does not match up with my memory. It should feel better. Came back the second day, going over the settings. I was like, oh, booted up a setto, did a few races. I'm like, oh, yep, here it is. And my times on the Nürburgring dropped by a full minute. I was down to like a seven minute 40 in the Gen 5 GTS. Seven minutes 40. And I didn't change the setup on the car. Not that you could change much in that mod. But yeah, a full minute because I could feel the grip or it was much easier to feel the grip. Because I had more resistance. It was so much easier to tell. The force feedback was so much better. But I knew something was off the day prior. Four or five corners. That's all it took. Because I just... I, the car just kept washing wide. I'm like, where the hell is the grip? I know I know the Pirelli P0 courses aren't the most aggressive tires. I know the Gen 5 doesn't have the most amount of downforce without that aero package. But it's like, I know the car is good without that aero package. I know it is. This is wrong. So Ricardo is absolutely right. You have to be ridiculously dialed in. Hell, when I went karting a while ago and I got into a different car, I knew in about a, in about a lap, in about three or four corners, because the track out here, uh, Unser karting, now podium karting, is a lot shorter. But I knew in about, about four corners, because it took a while to get to a fast corner. But I knew in about four corners, I was like, oh, this car understeers more. There just wasn't as much front end grip. It didn't have that bite that the other car I drove had. It didn't have that initial bite. It seemed to understeer on corner entry a lot more than the other cart, so it was a, a lot more disconcerting. Because I got really used to that instant turn, and I got super familiar and super comfortable with that fly-like with that fly-like agility. So then, having that understeer meant I had to be a little bit more timid with it. I couldn't be. I couldn't attack as hard as I could in the other cart because the front end couldn't deal with it. It still had a lot of grip. It's just that that initial bite completely turned me off because. It was about a split second of understeer, maybe a 
second of understeer. But it only took it only took that split second, that full second, for my confidence to go down. I'm like, oh no. Because I really thought I really thought the cart was gonna spear off and understeer into the guardrail on the far side or well, any side of the corner. That's how much the initial bite was lacking. So eventually I got used to it. I'm like, okay, I just gotta over I gotta override that, but I can't turn as hard. I gotta be a little bit softer, be a little bit smoother in my inputs. Let let the tires get the grip because they're not gonna bite. Not they're not gonna bite as quickly nor aggressively. Sorry for that ramble, but I just I resonate with that so much. It, racing is so feel based. It really is. Daniel Ricardo's basically talking about mind over matter when it comes to racing, and he's so so right. Confidence in the car, man. It's so important. That's what really allows you to push. That's what allows you to get that last tenth to, to go ten tenths. To that end, to that end, having confidence, having trust in the car is like having trust in a relationship to let your partner go out with a with a bunch of opposite sex friends and know they're not gonna cheat on you. Cause it's like, oh, you know, I've got you know, I trust you, I've got confidence in you, you know, you're not, you know, you're not gonna do anything. You might not know about their friends or your friends, but it's like, no, you can go out. I know you wouldn't do anything. A car is a lot like that. It's like, oh, I know you're not going to spin just randomly unless I do something stupid or hit the corner wrong. So confidence, it really is a confidence in a car is a lot like confidence in a relationship. It's trust. It's trust in the car, it's trust in the partner that it can grip, it will hit it. But a lot of that is also familiarity. It's getting used to the car, it's learning its do's and don'ts, its likes and dislikes. It really is a partnership. It really is a relationship. It is more than just a hunk of metal or carbon fiber or aluminum. When you're going fast, it's that conversation, it's that communication between driver and car that's absolutely vital for going fast. It's like in in a normal relationship, marriage or otherwise, it's like, well, if you don't communicate, how how are you really going to trust your partner? Or how are you going to continually trust your partner? Because they're not saying anything. A car is exactly like that. A car, it needs to tell you something. It needs to communicate. But that's why I like carts, Vipers, Miatas, and et cetera, because they are communicating all the time. Now, the Vipers is not a, might not be the very best communicator at the limit because it's, 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 the Vipers like those people that can take irritation, irritation, or, or annoyances, 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 blows up. It takes a lot. The Vipers sort of like James May, apparently, from what Clarkson said, where it takes a lot to push James May over the edge. It takes, it either takes a lot to push the Viper over the edge when driven properly, or it takes the the wrong thing done stupidly, what I call a hot button issue that immediately gets you pissed off, right? The Viper's like that. If it's if it's driven properly, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to actually get it to to misbehave, to get irritated at you. But if you're just driving like a moron, no. No, no tolerance for stupidity the Viper has. So but racing absolutely requires that communication absolutely requires that relationship it requires that trust that back and forth between the car that's why all the suspension movement that's why feel matters that's that's the way the car communicates it's the car's communicating by a braille basically all those all those sensations all that feeling that you have to interpret into information and so a car that's harder to feel a car that doesn't communicate as well because it's more isolated because it's not as feely you know a lot of normal cars when it comes to racing that can be a harder that can be harder to trust it can be a lot harder to trust because you just don't know what's happening the car pun not intended is kind of acting autonomously and it's like oh well i don't i'm not sure 
It's unsettling. So how far? Okay, we're 13 minutes. Okay, I'm just going to shut up a little bit and get through this attack, or at the very least, I'm going to try not to ramble as much as possible. More press. So I think we just did practice. The next, yep, Saturday qualifying. Here we go. Looks like a slightly wet track. Yeah, it looks like it might have rained. Sky's a bit overcast. How many minutes left do we have? 21? Okay. Lewis Hamilton did a 121.1 at Melbourne. That is the time to beat. Uh, did Valtteri have a... Yeah, Botas had an off in qualifying. The rear let off. Or, sorry, the rear let go and he just couldn't save it. Big crash. Not a bad one, just a lot of damage was done to the car. Gunther Steiner saying that he's confident that Haas can do better than last year. Not, not a hard benchmark to, say, to set, frankly. Not hard for Haas, anyway. Kevin Magnussen on the mic. Magnussen is saying the qualifying is intense because there's a lot of pressure with it. And he's right. 2017, okay. Oh, no, they touched. I think at Abu Dhabi somewhere. Apparently Magnussen doesn't have fear when he drives. Doesn't think about the consequences when or of crashing a car. Make, makes sense. Takes a lot of guts to not be fearful like that. Or a lot of comfort. Alright, Magnuson. Out on track. Wet track. Pretty I say wet, it's a little damp. It looks to be a bit damp anyway. is saying to drive a fast lap, it's all about rhythm and feeling. Absolutely right. I won't belabor the point I've already made. Or the points, really. Multiple points I've already made. Feel like you're just one with the car in your own body. That sounds like flow state to me. Feels like flying to him, considering how fast he's going. It basically is. Apparently, he thinks it's almost like having superpowers. Yeah, no, he's right. Flow state is a hell of a drug. Just absolutely unreal. Apparently, his nails sectors one and two. What is his lap time going to be? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Coming up to the finish line. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? A 123.1. Not bad. Two seconds off Hamilton, but then again, their cars potentially just about two seconds slower because much, much smaller budget. So that's that's pretty dang amazing for Haas. Or Haas, sorry. Apparently, it's the highest they've ever started anywhere. I don't remember what the position was, though. Apparently, it's pretty high, at least high for them. Woo! Handshakes and hugs all around. I think Gunther's talking to Gene. They start fifth! Hash starts fifth. That is high for them. Well, actually, no, that's high full stop. But that is sensational for them. Sunday's the race. 17 minutes to go. Back again with Ricardo. Mans loves race day. So many iPads, so many phones, so many modern bricks. Or I guess it'd be like slabs now. It'd actually be slabs. Tiles, perhaps. Cars would be wheeled out. Yeah. I love the way they filmed this. Season 2, I think they got a few better shots, slash more shots of their own, but I still love the shots they're getting here. Sets the tone. Sets the atmosphere. Really gets you, gets you into that behind-the-scenes. Gives you that behind-the-scenes action that you love to see. What's funny is that Daniel's wearing a, a yellow hat right now, despite being a Red Bull. It just it makes me think of Renault. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe he was hinting at his move to Reno all those years ago with the yellow hat. Ricardo saying, if someone says they don't get nervous, they're lying. <laughs> Apparently, immediately before a race, Horner blocks out all of the distractions. Which I assume means he turns his phone on, airpl into air uh, on airplane mode. 
or puts his phone in airplane mode. Horner saying that Formula One drivers have uh, almost have a kind of a fighter pilot, fighter pilot, sorry, mentality. And in his words, that's what separates them from mere mortals. He right. Versus or Ricardo's mother's. Ricardo's mother is saying that when she's in the grandstand, sitting across from the pits, and sees all the racing drivers, all she can think is that's somebody's child. Thinking about all the, all the poor mothers that have to deal with the stress, and now she's one of them. Now she's one of the mothers that has to deal with all the stress, the anticipation, the building atmosphere. It's so good. It makes me think of that scene near the end of the Speed Racer movie, the final act, where one of the commentators is saying, "There's an electricity in the air." As all eyes turn to one car, that's exactly that here. There's an electricity in the air. As all eyes, all eyes turn, turn to the grid, waiting for the race to start, waiting for the lights to go out at Melbourne, waiting for the chaos to unfold. Will there be a turn one melee, or melee, sorry? Is there going to be carnage? Who's going to come out on top? What passes are are we going to see? What overtakes? What mistakes? It's lights out at Melbourne. Here we go. Ricardo, what what kind of start does he get? It's an okay start. Haas does okay. Renault, everyone's got a pretty average start, it would seem. No one got away, at the very least. Not terribly. Okay, we got Lewis Hamilton in first, leading the two Ferraris. I'm not sure who's in front. It might be Sebastian Vettel. Someone locked up. I think it was one of the Force Indias. Mercedes still leading. Ferrari 2-3. Red Bull within the top five. Here we go. It's all very, very tense here. The Ferrari's still trailing. I think there's a Haas in front of a Red Bull. Never thought we'd ever see that. McLaren's a little bit behind. Renault in front of McLaren. Here we go. Everything's a little quiet now. All Grace Ricardo ever does is pray for a safe race, apparently. Everything everything after that's a bonus. Christian Horner sitting on the pit wall. Ricardo passes Nico Hulkenberg. Renault wasn't that strong in 2018, so not a surprise. Oh, wait. No, never mind. Ah! Hulkenberg tries to fight back, but doesn't make the move stick. Ricardo keeps the position. Horner saying it's mentally draining dealing with two different cars, two potentially different outcomes. The amount, the amount of multitasking is unfathomable for me. Who went off? Who went off? Was it Max Verstappen? Got this, got the save, but wasn't good. A Haas. Oh, Verstappen spun. Ricardo go past, goes past Verstappen. I think Verstappen hit the rumble strip a little wrong. Maybe clipped the inside. Either the inside of the apex a little wrong, that's what spun the car, or the rumble strip hit the grass, spun it. Dreamland for Haas, I think they're still in the top five. So there is only Mercedes and Ferrari in front of Haas. So Haas must be fourth and fifth. Ferrari is second and third. Yep. Haas is doing good, but can Ricardo catch up and pass Haas? Or Haas, sorry. I keep flip-flopping. Can they do it? A massive lockup for Magnuson. That's not going to be good. It's going to... Might have flat spotted a tire. Has to be extremely careful. Kevin Magnuson is going to box. Here we go. Going into the pits. Everyone's going out with all their tires. Tire warmers still intact. Magnuson storming down the pit entry road. They're prepping. They're prepping. They're prepping like college students do for the SATs. And I think they got a 90% on their test. Very well done. Did they screw anything up? Kevin Magnuson is back. Is back on track. Made it out into the pits. It seemed like a fairly quick pit stop, but there, there were a lot of cuts. Uh-oh. One's not tight. 
Left right. Or sorry, left back isn't tight. Magnuson has a failure. No! Is it a tire? Is it a tire failure? Did something else fail? Is it? It's going to take so long for him to make it back to the pit lane. Magnuson is being told to stop the car. No! Was it just the tire? Was it the left rear that was bad? Who is going to lose their job? Or, or are they going to get a massive scolding? Are they going to get a massive scolding from Steiner? And we all know from season two, no one wants that. No one. It's terrifying. Absolutely scary. A mad Steiner is... Mm -mm. Was it a tire? Was it... Oh no, he turned the car off. He's having to get out. Heartbreaking. He said... Magnuson himself says it's heartbreaking. You just don't want it to be true. Absolute nightmare. Apparently he's saying you just cope with it. Try to stay calm. Focus on your other driver. Focus on the race. Grosjean is still going. Grosjean is being told to pit. Let's not have another mistake. Come on, Haas. One of the tires was a little slow. Wasn't the fastest pit stop, but it's good. Will he have an error? Will he? Will Grosjean have a mistake, have an issue as well? Grosjean's going slowly too. No! He's being told to stop the car too. What the hell is happening? Front left is loose. No! Romain, no! Both passes are out of the race. After starting so well in qualifying, after doing so good in qualifying, that's disappointing isn't the word. Absolute dejection is. Heartbreak. I don't think it's not the word. Catastrophe. Full-on catastrophe. That's the word. After doing so well in qualifying, that is that is so disappointing. That is so frustrating for Haas. What is Gunther Steiner going to do? What is Gene, Gene Haas going to say? No one wants to be a fly on the wall of that boardroom meeting. No one wants to be in the room, fly or otherwise. Gunther is saying that it's easy in his position to blame someone, but ultimately, it comes back to him. And he's kind of right. He's right. It's a sad afternoon. It's a sad, sad situation. It's such a shit. What a shot. What a shot. Apparently, Magnuson needs a bit of a break. Makes sense. They were in fourth and fifth. Magnuson say, just help me with those guys, please. Mans needs to be restrained. He needs to be held back from starting a fight. Steiner is on the phone with Gene right now. That is that is the worst phone call, any, or one of the worst phone calls anyone has ever made. Gunther saying, from 4th and 5th to DNF, they just look like a bunch of clowns. In the end, though, the, the, weekend, the weekend goes on. The other teams that don't have a problem, they keep racing. Apparently the... Okay. So, one of the, one of the staff that put, that put the wheel on is saying that it looked tight when it was up in the air. It felt tight. But then when the car dropped, it didn't look tight. It felt tight, but it didn't look tight. Yeah, visually it looked loose. Apparently this guy's saying that they haven't practiced this weekend at all. Because Gunther was, Gunther was saying, did they, did they not train enough? Apparently he was also tired. Doesn't think that'll help. And it makes sense why he's tired. Because it's like they only have 212 employees compared to Mercedes 1,000 plus. So a lot of people got to pull, they got to do multiple jobs. And that's going to wear anyone out. Devastated is the word. This guy is right. Devastated is the word. Raikkonen's now in third. Fourth is Daniel Ricciardo. Potentially gifted the position from Haas DNFing. 
So we're back with everyone else now, seeing how everyone else's race is going. Ricardo is being told that his plate that his pace is blistering. He doesn't want to let he doesn't want to let uh Riken and breathe. There's that killer instinct. Ricardo's having a slightly tough time catching up, but he is doing it. He is closing the gap. Final lap. Being told to being told to use the battery. He's right on right on the there's not even a bumper, just right on the rear of Raikkonen. Sebastian Vettel wins the Grand Prix, but can Ricardo, can Ricardo get third? Can he be the first Australian to make it into the top three? Daniel Ricardo's in fourth. Didn't make it into the top three. God dang it. Ricardo couldn't be the first Australian. Couldn't be the first Australian Australian to make it into the top three of his home race. Dang it. Still, fourth is not bad. I think he ended up didn't didn't he end up doing it next time, or did they get rid of Melbourne? They might have gotten rid of Melbourne from the calendar. Ricardo believes he should be winning more frequently, and you know he's right. Man's is good. I do think a tad inconsistent with his pace, but when he's on it, dude, when he's on it, stupid fast. Definitely a rival for Hamilton. It's just that Hamilton, Hamilton is more consistent with his, for lack of a better word, ultra pace. But I do think, at least at this point in time, Ricardo's ultra pace was faster than Hamilton's. It really was. He had shown he could be as fast, if not faster. He just wasn't, he wasn't nearly as consistent. He wasn't able to hold that pace, that 10 tenths pace, as consistently as Hamilton could. Whew. And now, packing up, packing up, going to the next race. Horn was saying that these cars develop so quickly that you'll know where you'll be starting, but you don't know where you're going to finish. And that makes sense. I mean, look at Hash just now. They knew where they started. Didn't, didn't finish. Couldn't finish. Magnuson says that he'd like to win tomorrow at that time, but he's pretty far from that at the moment. And frankly, the entire at that at that moment in time, the entire Haas team was far from that. They were. Stunner says they should have done better, and he's absolutely right. What an episode. What a great episode. What is the next one? Got a sizzle reel for episode two. So the next episode's gonna be the rivalry between Ricardo and Verstappen. Yeah, what is that episode called? Just so we know what's... Okay, The King of Spain. That's going to be the next episode. But we are not going to be watching that today. That has been episode one, all to play for of Formula One Drive to Survive Season 1. I hope you all enjoyed I know I did. It's been a while since I've seen their series. If you... You know, what, do you, what did you think of the episode? What did you think of Season 1, if you remember? Let me know in the comments below. In any case, I hope you enjoyed. If you did, please make sure to like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you watch on YouTube... Please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell. And then all notifications that we're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have it while the Podbean mobile app, hey, not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcast. Time to create car conundrum. And then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.